Hey guys, Anthony here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Common Sense Finance. Before we start, I would ask if you could please subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to this on a podcasting app and drop a five-star review if that podcasting app is Apple Podcasts. Or if you're listening, if you're watching this on YouTube rather, please like, comment, and subscribe on this video. It would really help me grow Common Sense Finance and reach new people and promote the brand. I want to promote financial literacy to as many people as possible and your support would make that happen and I would really appreciate that. With that out of the way, we can go on to discuss today's episode. This episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Yegor from the page from 100K to 1M. Yegor runs a newsletter and a blog tracking his progress for his personal portfolio, growing it from $100,000 to $1 million. Yegor is a business owner. He's an immigrant to the United States without a formal education, but that has not prevented him from learning as much as he possibly could about personal finance and investing. Despite his lack of you know, a formal education and a formal background in finance, I think Yegor provides the perfect textbook definition of what someone should look for when investing in stocks. That's, he touches on this in the episode. I was blown away by his explanation because I could not have worded it any better myself. We also go into what aspects, what do we do to self-educate ourselves. We talk about books we like to read, podcasts, and other ways we like to consume education and learn as much as we can. Overall, I had a very fantastic time speaking with Igor. I really appreciated the time that he took out of his busy schedule to come on the show. I hope you get a lot out of this conversation because we touch on a number of important subjects. So without further ado, enjoy. Hello everyone, Anthony here from Common Sense Finance and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Igor from the page from 100k to 1 million. So thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you, Anthony. It's uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Igor and I are kind of in a similar situation, right? We're trying to create a financial literacy learning platform on through social media channels. And uh, before, I'm probably going to discuss how I started, but uh, Igor, why don't you get into how you started? Why did you decide to create, you know, from 100K to 1 million? Sure. Uh, so... Just a little background on me, just so why, why I got to here. I came to America about 15, 17 years ago uh, from Ukraine with my mom. You know, no English, no family here. So starting from zero, like fresh from the boat kind of story. And slowly but surely building up ground up, uh, working, school, helping my mom you know she's doing multiple jobs i'm doing multiple jobs and within probably last maybe five years i've been finally somewhat stable with having my own business i run a medical supply company with multiple employees and uh, i feel like that's i kind of got that part and i want to do something new for myself so always pushing myself to be better always pushing to expand and I don't have any financial degrees or anything like that, but I did start many uh, businesses, many of them failed, some went on, and I know how to, well, at least I think I know how to run a business. And I uh, got into one of the workshops by Phil Town. Uh, he's a value investor, famous on social media. I got on his uh, like little scholarship for free, and he introduced me to investing. and. 
it just resonated with me value investing in general how to invest in being able to do it from anywhere being able to do uh, uh, just you know buying the right companies etc and i want to document that journey i want to because i don't have any kind of uh, network from finance to kind of prove that i know something so i want to back it up so i started the, from 100k to 1m where on instagram for example i post uh, weekly screenshots of the portfolio and on my blog i actually go dive deep into actual portfolio and what i'm doing on it and sharing my thoughts and i just want to educate and show to other people who might not come from financial degree that is possible with the proper discipline and a little common sense that we all can do this so you know it doesn't have to be like picking individual stocks maybe you'll do something else but just to be able to you know uh invest and at some point hopefully be financially free yeah i honestly think think it's a great backstory and i kind of i we're kind of like on two opposite spectrums right where you're kind of in a later stage of your career than I, I, I really haven't started my career yet. I'm still a college student and we're kind of seeing things from two completely different perspectives where I'm a, I'm majoring in a finance, I'm majoring in finance and accounting. So I'm, I'm entering, uh, preparing to enter into the financial profession and you necessarily don't have that financial experience, but yet we're kind of coming to a mutual common ground where, Oh, there's an issue here. People don't know just the bare minimum. Like, and I think that's kind of, uh, I think it's interesting that you decided to take that path and say, you know what, I want to learn business. I want to teach other people to learn business because I think a lot of people get uh, turned off because they're not in the financial profession. Like they think, oh, I don't know everything there is about stocks. I shouldn't start investing. And like, I feel like that's kind of prohibiting people from even starting, right? So I guess I'll go a little bit into my background as well. So we kind of have kind of a, you know, an understanding. So I started Common Sense Finance in 2019. So that was about two years ago. And my issue was, well, for one, I started as a blog. I love writing. Writing is very easy to me. And I always, I love finance. I love talking about stocks, personal finance. I wanted to educate people. I know there's kind of a big disconnect between understanding finance and like, for example, I am in a, in a financial profession, yet there are so many people who are still financially illiterate that I've seen, even though they're financial professionals. So you would think that, oh, just being exposed to it would teach people financial literacy. And that's not the case. Like you can know what, how to invest in a stock, but that doesn't mean you know how to budget. It doesn't mean you know how to uh, create an emergency fund. So like there are other aspects of finance that people are just not exposed to whatsoever. And I kind of want to bridge that gap. So starting this year, I kind of took it seriously. I, you know, realized like this is the, now's the best time. Like when can I ever, ever have an opportunity like this to start again? I'm still in college. So I kind of have that. I have more freedom than, you know, once I start and work full time. So I figured take initiative, start now, like as, as strongly as possible. And I'm here today trying to, you know, grow the platform as much as possible. Yeah. And if I may, I do listen to your podcast and it's just awesome that you're doing, 
at least from what I have listened, a lot of them are from your college uh, professors or somehow uh, associates with the college. Mm -hmm. And I think it's awesome that you're bringing uh, different topics, different people uh, with the knowledge to try to educate people with less of whatever their knowledge, be it like blockchain, recently I heard one, uh, or accounting, uh, where people, they know their stuff and they're able to explain it to people who have minor to like non-information whatsoever about it, but they might be interested, but as you said, they, they got turned off because they don't have a good source of education of mm -hmm. like uh, layman's terms, explaining it to them. Mm -hmm. Even though, uh, you know, internet is such a huge database of information, you know, sometimes it's just too much information is not a good thing. And I think to that point, there's a lot of misinformation. Like you see a lot of people who are kind of, you know, scam artists, if you will, where they're like, you know, like the Forex people, some of these crypto people, and they're trying to take advantage of, you know, people who want to learn, like even with the GameStop stuff that happened earlier this year, like, I think there are people who want to get involved in investing. They want to improve their financial situation, but they don't know the route to take. They see GameStop and they think, oh, that's the way to go. And yeah, it worked at the moment, but that's not a sustainable approach to, you know, improving your financial situation. So I think, yeah, there needs to be a gap bridged. Like that's, that's the goal of my podcast. I try to bring as many different perspectives on things as possible. Like, uh, a recent episode, I had an uh, an art, uh, the director of the fine arts department explained to me how like art appraisals and like the business of art works. Uh, later this week, I'm having uh, a musical composer come on and he talks about record labels and things like that. So it's like, I'm trying to uh, demonstrate there's like business and fi like personal finance and business are kind of intertwined to everything you do. So I think it's kind of important to realize that because if you don't, if you don't have an understanding of those kind of skills, like no matter what field you go into, like that's kind of, you're shooting yourself in the foot, right? You're starting off with a handicap at that point and you don't want that. Sure. I mean, we probably all can name a few famous actors, actresses, uh, football players, basketball player athletes that have made millions and then they lo lose it all. Like these guys and girls, they make early millions a year and you know down the road uh they don't know finance they don't know personal finance they uh they want the big tickets but then nobody taught them so they don't know how to properly manage and they lost it all you know some did properly but there's a lot of them that we can read that unfortunately you know they made it and they lost it because they never knew how to pers properly do personal finances mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's rich dad, poor dad. Robert Kiyosaki says that it doesn't matter how much you make. It matters how much you keep, right? It's more important to preserve wealth and create it because if you make a million dollars a year, but you spend a million and a half, you're losing half a million dollars a year. So like on surface level, you're making a lot of money, but yeah, like your financial behaviors, your financial habits are such a key aspect on how you're able to, you know, generate wealth, improve your financial situation. Like income is great, but income isn't the end all be all at the end of the day. Exactly. I mean, for all the uh, negativity that the book gets, I think it's still one of the best books for anybody to read. Uh, mm -hmm. The guy is 
whatever his history is, it's one thing, but that book, I, I feel like everybody should read it, no matter what they're rich, poor, doesn't matter, uh, whatever you think about the guy, but the book is solid. Uh, it's been through all the time. I mean, I feel like it's it's definitely on everybody, should be on everybody's list to read. Yeah. I, re- I read it over the, the past summer. So I read it like maybe like six, eight months ago. And I like everything that I read was like, like to the point, it was very accurate. Like I kind of had the opinion that you kind of mentioned where I kind of dismissed the book. I, I, I know like some of the stuff he's involved with now, like he's pushing some kind of, he gets, he pushes some kind of uh, some shady stuff here and there. But I mean, the information he provides is very valuable. Like I, I learned a lot and I feel like I kind of had a good grasp of personal finance going into the, the book. So I thought it was like, it, it, highly recommend like you said anyone who's a beginner should start off with a book like that you know um a little side story my uh, wife before i met her she actually took one of his classes uh and it's total crap um (laughs) but that's what i'm saying like you know he might be pushing certain things yeah uh, that's one aspect you know you don't want to judge his book just because in him all he does all he did or will do like you know book is a book book didn't do anything when he wrote it it's still many years ago i don't know how long ago it was but still to that to this day people can get uh many lessons for themselves that they might not get uh, otherwise because they just not taught by their parents mm-hmm. for example yeah for sure so i think um a question I had was, so what do you think is an important aspect of personal finance finance that people should know that you like that you personally think is the most important? So I know we we're talking about uh, budget. I mentioned budgeting, emergency uh, accounts. You mentioned they don't know just like the basics of starting to invest. So what do you think the most important aspect people should learn is? Well, you brought it up. Uh, spend. Uh, save more than you spent. So uh, there's a book that I read. Uh, I think it's called Richest Man in Babylon. Mm-hmm. And the concept, I mean, you can just sum it up in one sentence that, you know, 10% of whatever you make, you invest in whatever it is. Uh, that's one thing. And just, yeah, just spend less, you know, save a little bit. And that thing, that compounds. So I think this gets people think it's not that big of a deal. Even if you save one to 5% of your paycheck, but over long run, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree. I think for I think you mentioned something you mentioned is very interesting. Like you said, like just start, I think, and let it compound that's why I'm a big advocate of starting as early as possible. Right. Like, I feel like there's never, you're never too young to invest. You might as well start whenever you can. I mean, I know some people have opinions when it comes to, if you have a lot of debt, should you invest with debt uh, while you have so much debt? But I think otherwise, like you should look to invest as soon as possible. And I think I did the math. If you invest $5 a month uh, over the course, I think of 40 years, you'll make, I think $30,000 at the end of, at the end of the line. Uh, just about five dollars a month that's like the bare minimum like you possibly could invest with like fractional shares so i mean i think a small amount goes a very long way uh if you let it ride over a long period of time so i started early amazing 
$5 a month. It's literally. It's less than a Netflix subscription. Yeah. You literally can do the Netflix was right now, 12, 16. Yeah. So quarter of that a month. You could probably still get your Netflix, maybe with worse quality. Yeah. Uh, but then I took it personally to the next level for myself. I opened for my daughter uh, account called in America, I think UMSC. It's basically a custodian account. Okay. Mm. So the little one is she's going to be this, this month, three years. Uh, she has X amount of money. You know, I don't like max it out. Don't, don't try to max it out anything. But I put, like you said, you know, five, ten dollars a month on her account. Uh, I've been doing that already for three years. Now, you said 30 years. You, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. You Did you mention the amount of time? For uh, the, uh, 40 years. So 40 years. Uh, and let's just say I'll do until eight, she's 18. Even let's just say it's ten, fifteen thousand dollars by eighteen, and then she doesn't touch it, and then she just goes on and spend her own money the way she wants. I'm pretty sure I'm, you know, not a math, uh, finance major, but I'm pretty sure from eighteen to sixty, if she just lets that money sit in investing account like S and P five hundred or something like that, you know, something safe-ish, for another forty years. I think she'll be okay, most likely. <laughs> and just things like this, uh, I don't think people are educated enough or they don't put enough thought on it. And I feel like with a little sacrifice, uh, you know, um, you kind of postpone the gratitude. Uh, it goes a long way. Mm -hmm. I have to agree. And I think in your situation where you're saying like, you know, you put a few dollars a month away, it could lead to, like you said, ten, fifteen thousand dollars, and like you said, you know, a little sacrifice. You have to delay gratitude. I mean, I would argue that you know, five dollars a month isn't necessarily like a significant sacrifice to make. Like we said, it's like a third or a fourth of a Netflix subscription. Like you still get your Netflix subscription and make those contributions. And just to think, like for people who really want to take it, uh, investing seriously and they want to invest more than five dollars a month, what opportunities that they would have later down the line by, you know, investing. What if you invest a couple hundred dollars a year or a couple thousand dollars a year instead of just $5 a month? Like you could really see how compound interest can take its effect and like how you can really have a safe retirement if you take investing seriously now. You know, the whole point is to start. So many people wish and think about it and they never do and as you said compounding but you gotta have something to start compounding so if i may just regarding like you know i started the from 100k uh, to 1m with 100,000 of my own personally saved money and i mean i i earned it you know one way of working and paying taxes on it but now I can use this money to hopefully make more money and compound it. But I had to start somewhere. You know, this money wasn't given to me. And budgeting, you know, saving slowly but surely over the years, you know, I was able to save up with some sacrifices on my end. But 
you gotta start you gotta put in that work uh the, as you said the earlier you start the sooner you can have a bigger uh amount to invest you mm. know with like dividends even i have a few friends on instagram they do dividend investing and they're putting around the same amount of their accounts are around 100k and dividends in the beginning they were telling me you know it's ten dollars twenty dollars and when they were doing like a thousand dollars and when it's hundred thousand dollars they're getting now around a thousand dollars a month i mean you could they could pretty much i mean that's their goal pretty much just retire uh at some point when their dividends cover their expenses mm -hmm. but they also really frugal mm -hmm. they don't you know they spend what they need for minor pleasures in life and the rest is safe like a fire movement mm -hmm. sort of thing which i don't really enjoy because it, i think they go way way mm -hmm. way way extreme but the concept is good yeah I was actually going to mention that, like you mentioned, you know, you have to live below your means, be frugal. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. I just think that there are some people, like you mentioned, that it kind of go too extreme where they, I think, mm -hmm. yes, you need to cut, you can cut back on some places you can afford to cut back. But I mean, if you're in your twenties and thirties and you're choosing not to go out every single weekend or like see friends and family to save a few dollars here and there, I think you kind of have to balance your frugality with just experiencing and enjoying life to an extent you, you know what exactly. i mean exactly yeah i mean that's one of the reason i'm like with you 100 is i have now as a wife and a child and i have another little one due in june and Congrats. Uh, they, thank you they're a little bit on different mental game than me in a sense like you know they like to enjoy life a little more i'm okay with sacrificing more they're not so finding that balance for them and me means, you know, maybe I'm not going to retire at my 40, but then I'll enjoy my life a little more because they're enjoying, you know, maybe we'll go out an extra time, maybe, you know, buy a little one an ice cream more than one time. Yeah. And some, you know, I don't want to get bashed by fire moment, but some of them, they'll, they'll cut all the expenses just to reach that, 40 goal and uh by year 40 and i think that's a little that's a little too much mm -hmm. i mean like if that's what makes them happy i mean good for them i just think sure i think many people kind of have the like an unrealistic mindset when they think oh i'm gonna retire by 40 and then just try to like without like a lot of sacrifice does go into having such an early retirement date like you mentioned like they go above and beyond like they go to an extreme so i think i mean Retiring at 40 is probably a great, like a great goal to have, but, you know, be realistic. You should try to enjoy yourself along the way to an extent. And like, like you said, you have to manage the frugality and enjoying things. You know, some people so might, if you're doing something that you enjoy, because a lot of them, they don't enjoy what they're doing right now. So they're doing it right now for the money. So maybe do whatever they want to do down the road. But we also got to remember some of us actually either, enjoy or don't really hate whatever they do so if you find actually thing that you enjoy right now then it might not pay what you want but you enjoying every day you wake up with a smile like i know some accountants uh, a friend of mine accountant you know he enjoys it 
yeah, uh, he actually, because of the COVID situation, he had opportunity to step up his game and with his firm, you know, expand. And he didn't expect that, but you know, things like this happen. And when you enjoy life, good things come to you, you take opportunity and you expand, Mm. but you don't focus on something down the road. So yeah, you gotta find your balance. For sure. And so from the sounds of things, you kind of did a lot of self-education to learn personal finance, right? What resources do you think were most helpful to you along your journey to learn personal finance? Because I'm sure a lot of people want to know how they can teach themselves. What resources were most beneficial to you? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I do all the investing and things and finance, all self-taught. And it's a lot of books, books reading, a lot of, I listen audiobooks especially. And then if the book is really good, get it in physical. Um, YouTube, I mean, I honestly, I don't think I would be able to do what I do right now with investing if I was, for example, during the time of Warren Buffett when he just started because of uh, just pure internet play with, I can maximize with all the apps and et cetera. But yeah, good old fashioned reading. And um, I had a good luck of having some mentors that uh, taught me things and uh, some of them still helped me out. So, but reading, 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 I mean, and and experimenting, trying things. Because uh, a lot of things, you know, I tried, it didn't help me. So just finding things that help me, put them on my belt of useful uh, to expand my knowledge and just keep doing that. That's kind of, you know, two step forward, one step back works for me. That's the way I do it. Yeah, I think there's a saying, yeah, if you're going to make a mistake, you want to make the mistake as quickly as possible and move on. Right. I think it's good yeah. to, like you said, I think it's, that's something people don't really say is just like test new things because I like, especially if we're younger in age, I think it's so beneficial for you to make mistakes as small, like as young as possible, because if you're investing a couple hundred dollars and you lose a couple hundred dollars, it's not the end of the world. If you make the mistake when you're 50 and you lose a couple hundred thousand dollars, it's a much bigger deal. So I think once you're younger, like you can afford to make the mistakes because they're just so small in comparison. Yeah, I mean, as a <laughs> putting for me, my hundred thousand is a lot of money for me. You know, I'm not, you know, multimillionaire. I'm comfortable where I'm at, but uh, yeah. So for me, is a big thing learning also mistakes from others. So I watch a lot of YouTube. Uh, there's so much free content right now that you don't have to pay, and you can learn from other people's mistakes. It, and I think people not always take a full advantage of it Mm -hmm. like i learned pretty much everything about investing through youtube like youtube was my channel it was the outlet for me to learn everything and actually get interested and to start uh to start investing so it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because like like you said there are so many resources available to you out there with the internet that like before you even buy a book, you can listen to the audiobook for free on YouTube. And then if you like it, you decide to buy it. Like you can pretty much learn as much as you can. And like you said about the Warren Buffett thing, it's interesting that you mentioned that because like he learned everything he learned 
through a formal education. Like he went to college to learn everything that he learned. A lot of people would probably not be able to do well investing, given that given that that being the case, because they probably would have had to go to schooling and learn everything. Nowadays, you can read a book, you can find resources online, YouTube. So I think it's it's the best time ever to learn investing and to learn the basics of personal finance. Yeah, I had a pleasure of uh, reading a few books uh, about famous investors, value investors that uh, during uh, anywhere from 1950s to about 1990 timeframe, there were a few of them that did not have any uh, background in college education. Uh, what they what they did have was uh, discipline, and after finding that you know that was one of the pieces that also gave me courage to do what I do, to try to do what I do because uh, these guys basically no financial uh, education whatsoever, but uh, being frugal, disciplined, and also long term so that means they didn't make their money you know in 10 20 years they made all big chunk of their money after 20 30 40 years so as long as you can kind of play the long game i think mm -hmm. all of us can succeed the, the problem is <laughs> a lot of um, folks right now they want to you know use gamestop or dodgecoin as a tickets to become a multimillionaires on like you know in one day overnight yeah. and i don't think that's how it works in real life yeah i think like on that point i think there's a lot of negatives that people don't want to talk about right i think one of the biggest negatives is uh, the taxes involved right if you're making thousands and thousands of dollars selling dogecoin or gamestop within a month span like many people have you pay significant uh percentages of taxes and as compared to if you held out a, a stock, a stock for a year, two years, three years, right? There's different capital gains taxes. But like you said, I think it's not really sustainable where you're not going to see something like a Dogecoin or a GameStop happen, you know, every single year where like, oh, that's a stock. I'm going to invest in that, double my money. I, I've seen online that people are only investing in certain things that they'll double, triple, quadruple their money in a, a year span. That just doesn't happen consistently. So I think if, if things ever hit a, a correction period or a recession, like many people expect us to do, I don't know if that's the case. I think many people are going to be shocked at how the market truly reacts to how people invest. Yeah. A lot of times people don't think long enough in the sense that, as you said, to be able to keep on doing, but they get comfortable that they, they think they can. So keep uh, expanding that bet, you know, today may turn 100 into 1,000, you know, tomorrow 1,000 to let's say 10,000, the following time they lost to fire, you know, but they get into that gamble. And if you get sucked in into the idea that you can trade out of it, uh, you can get yourself in some big trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I heard of a, I heard an interesting statistic the other day. I had a guest on. It's going to be on next week. He was a portfolio manager at JP Morgan. He said that if you invested on the, the, the highest peak in 2008, so probably the worst day you could have ever invested in, this, in the stock market, and you held until today, 
you'd be up on your position. If you had sold at the lowest point last year due to the pandemic, you still would have been up on your position. So if you just have a long-term mindset, regardless of when you invest, you're going to see a most likely, almost cer- almost certainly, you're going to see a positive return on investment. And I think many people don't allow compound interest to really take into like take into a effect because they have such a short-term mindset, and it really kind of sets them back and hurts them in the long run. Sure, uh, there were stats about it also during the dot com dot com bubble. Same thing. Uh, companies like Intel or Microsoft or Cisco, even if you would bought them on, except maybe. A, Intel, I think, uh, if you bought them at all time high and you would hold them to right now, you might not make a lot, but you will definitely get your money back. The question is, and I would be really like to talk to that person, whoever hold through that pain, to be able to just hold for like 20 years and uh, be okay with that, I don't know, I mean, Every time I invest, I try to see my emotions. You know, sometimes they're not happy and I I try to figure out why I'm feeling certain way because emotions can play a big role. You know, there's no reset. It's not a video game. So if you lose a thousand today, that's you lost it. If you basically sold out of the stock Um, and there's no redo. So being able to control your emotions, uh, I think is a good trait to have, but I think it's so easier said than done when the actual uh, situation happens, like be it uh, 2000, 2008, last year, you know, hindsight 2020, it's, we can talk about it, but in the moment, that's where actually a lot of people, you know, like make it or break it. Yeah, I think, uh, investing on emotions, one of the hardest things to overcome as an investor, right? Because like, if you saw last year, if you invested at the absolute bottom in March, you would have made a lot of money over the, over the course of a year, but it's, it's difficult. It's easy to say in retrospect, but it's difficult to actually act on that at the time it's happening. You, you like, we're, we were facing one of the worst global pandemics in world history who would have thought that the market's going to bounce back in a year and be higher than it was uh, in February of 2020. So it's easier said than done. Something I like to do to kind of hold myself accountable is doing the, uh, the dollar cost average approach where you constantly invest on a biweekly basis. So whenever I receive a paycheck, I automatically put money to invest. It's to keep me accountable. So I'm always buying in whether it's high or low. I think that's a good strategy to kind of remove emotion from your investing i don't know if you have any any kind of strategy like that so this is where uh i actively quote unquote actively invest uh but i do have ira personal and through work through my business and i do uh bi-weekly uh yeah i put bi-weekly certain amount so it just comes out of my um, checking account, be it, you know, update, down day. I don't even know. All I know is, you know, on the 1st and the 15th, I need to make sure I have the X amount of money um, on my checking account because that's when it deposits. And 
that way the funny thing is i'm i'm gonna do it on a yearly basis but my uh, ira that i don't manage whatsoever i do i get it through i do it through wellfront which charges like pennies beating my uh, actively ma managed account uh, by not significantly but uh, you know thinking that i do dollar cost average bi-weekly and that's it i don't open it i don't do any there's no emotions whatsoever compared to my actively traded account i mean i can definitely see how it's hard because you know <laughs> I'm up on my, let's say 20% on my uh, actively managed account and I'm up 20% on my IRA. IRA takes no work for me whatsoever. All you do is put a little money every by week and the magic happens. Yeah, and, uh, it's funny that you bring up the IRA. Something that I've seen recently online is that many people just don't know how IRAs work. Like there are people who know what an IRA is but they think like I saw a couple people on TikTok, for example, they would invest in the they would invest in the IRA and they wouldn't know that the IRA wasn't an investment. Like they thought their money was invested just by depositing the money and they didn't know that they had to invest within the IRA. So there was one guy who made the maximum contribution for five years and he collected like a few hundred dollars in interest off the money that he contributed when it could have been thousands and thousands of dollars if he had it invested in an index fund, for example. So I thought that was uh, an interesting, like, see, like, that's an example. Like people are trying to take the, the necessary steps to be financially literate. Like they want to improve themselves, but like they just, like some people just don't know. That's sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's, you know, I, I guess this kind of things that I take for granted because I constantly, try to learn and dig into things that I don't understand. So I never had a 401k account because I always feel self-employed, but a friend of mine does. So even though I'm not accounted, I'm not anything, you know, I was like, let me look into it. So I started searching for her because she doesn't really care uh, how things work, but I wanted her to make sure that she can transfer, do a proper rollover and and I don't know, I guess maybe if I was a little smarter in the number wise, I would definitely enjoy accounting because all these things, they excite me to be able to figure out all these minor things. It, it's fun for me. Uh, I definitely want to do a certified um, financial planner, but for that, you got to have a bachelor's. Mm. So maybe down the road, I'll I'll do that something because I feel like I could definitely help a lot of people with uh, like financial, actual financial education with knowing like all the nitty gritty stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would be an excellent career path. Uh, that was something that I was looking uh, in my future too, potentially getting. I'm, I'm studying for my CPA right now to become the a certified public accountant. So one step at a time, this test is, uh, the studying is giving me a beating already. So. We got to see uh, how that turns out first. There's uh, quite a few when I see with the titles, it's a CPA, CPF. So I think definitely good to have under your belt. And um, I think that's cool that you're getting your like CPA at some point. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be rooting for you because I think that's, that's like, you can always use it no matter where you are, country or state of your life 
you can always use that. Um, it will always benefit you, basically, mm -hmm. unlike some other degrees that people get. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for the, the support. <laughs> um, so I, I had another question that I wanted to touch on. So you mentioned going back to the resources, you mentioned you've read some books. What, what are your favorite personal finance books? Because I know I, I have a few that I would recommend to people if they were to start. So what, what would you recommend to someone trying to get into personal finance? Uh, well, the Rich Dad Poor Dad is, I would say top five is Rich Dad Poor Dad. There's a Wealthy Barber. It's a newer version of the Richest Man in Babylon which actually teaches you about 401ks and IRAs and uh, life insurance. So I feel like I, I need to promote this book more. It's called Wealthy Barber. Uh, it really goes into like 2020 type of uh, accounts. Uh, the book that started things for me is Rule One Investing by Phil Town. That's where he actually teaches about value investing. And I think this one's they're the easiest to grasp. And then uh, I, I, I read, I listened to many, so many of them. I read so many of them that a lot of it, I just tried to grasp one or two key points that are useful for me. And then I just write uh, all the books that I uh, read. But uh, that's on top of my head, that's the ones that come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to. How about you? So I think Rich Dad Poor Dad might be like the number one. Uh, I know we just spoke about it. A book that I really liked was uh, How to Get Rich with Dividends. It breaks down, uh, highly recommend if you want to get into dividend investing. It breaks down like, you know, the how you can underperform the market, but still outperform the market with the dividends reinvested. It's a, it, it gives you a lot of confidence in a dividend investing strategy. Um, I'm trying to think. I have my shelf right here. Yeah. There are a few. I like um, the one. I remember right now. It's called Million Millionaire Next Door. Mm -hmm. I think I, that's I also useful. It's pretty much kind of like regular people becoming millionaires because they're having their own businesses and they're just being a little more frugal than the, the guy next door. Mm -hmm. that buy all the expensive stuff yeah so i have a, a few books behind me too um uh, i think the other one is uh, think and grow rich by napoleon hill i'm yeah, thinking just, about right now i That's just finished i just finished that one recently controversial author but then again the book itself it's solid so whatever the story is about napoleon hill is one thing but that book is useful for anybody who's just studying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Another book I'm trying to see. Uh, there's a book I read called Technical Analysis from A to Z. So I was trying to learn more about like how the charts work and everything and reading charts, which isn't really a long-term strategy at all, but um, I was more interested in it. But the first half of the book is how the stock market works. It tells you what, like, what a bull market is, a bear market, goes into like what the actual technical definitions are of those terms. So that was actually very interesting to read. So that was actually a pretty good book as well. Um, I think it's useful because the jargons get thrown around a lot and makes people uncomfortable. 
Mm -hmm. want to just some basic stuff but if they don't know their definition they might feel like they get dumped down yeah for sure i think you know many people just get overwhelmed like you mentioned there's so much information when you enter investing there's a lot of new terms thrown at you a lot of numbers and charts and like once you get an understanding of it you realize like a lot of the stuff is just kind of like self-explanatory like stock price is easy like the charts are just the stock price over time like there are things that once you understand like they're like wow why did i think this is so complicated at first you know the one that i remember it came out i think last year psychology of money by um something housel uh it goes like it's also easy read about um it's funny all this book really talks all of them they talk about being a little more frugal uh and you know things will be easier mm-hmm. but I, I sometimes feel like we need that repetition of constantly feeding our mind of you know this is what you need to do stay on your path keep going um i don't know i feel like a lot of them they're all the same <clears throat> they just get worded differently and this words they hit people differently so we can read the same book and we're just gonna get different ideas from even though it's the same book Mm -hmm. yeah for sure so i think that's why it's like it's important i think it's important not to just take someone else's opinion of it before you read it yourself right like you can get value from a book in a different way that someone else gets value like for example like i read um principles by ray dalio like that's supposed to be like such a fantastic book. I felt like I didn't really get much out of it. Like I feel like I felt like it was very a very long read, and I don't know. Like the information I feel like wasn't necessarily applicable on an individual basis. It was like more applicable like if you're running like a huge company. It was like principles of how to uh like it might be good for you if you're a business owner. It might be applicable for like a workplace environment, like how you structure a workplace. Like for me as an individual, I didn't get. Maybe I have to give it a second look. But well, like, I'm guilty. I just watched the YouTube videos. He made a cartoons about it. Yeah. So I just watched those cartoons <laughs> instead <laughs> of reading the book. Yeah. I mean, honestly, maybe because it was so long, I kind of like didn't give it the attention it deserved. So maybe I have to go back to it. But like, that's another thing. I think people kind of get like, they feel like they're not consuming the content correctly if they do it through, you know, audio or video instead of reading the book. Like, you mentioned you read, you listen to audiobooks. I think many people kind of get discouraged from listening to audiobooks and they feel like they have to read. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think you consume content however you can. Can I just say, I mean, I there's a lot of things that I think I, I might say people will disagree and I will not try to back it up, like, you know, get in an argument with people. But one thing I'll definitely will stay strongly is you got to do you. You got to learn the way it's good for you, be it audiobooks, be it reading, um, you know, real books, um, Kindle. You got to find what works for you. And you have to be, I feel like, comfortable with that and just do that that way. Because too many times, you know, I've been told when I was much younger, you got to read books. You know, you got to read books, but a lot of the books I don't like reading because I can, I, a lot of times I multitask. 
Mm-hmm. And for me to be able to do audiobook and uh, multitask, be it uh, work-related or I do a long-term drives from point A to point B, and having that audiobook instead of music, uh, that's a lot of times how I get my so many books. I I think one time I did like, I don't know, 40 or 50 or 60 books a year. Um of like good chunk quality they're about 10 hours books that i would never be able to do that if i actually physically read you mm-hmm. know working 8 10 12 hours come home honestly reading a book is not always what i'm looking for you know i'm looking for get a shower get some sleep but i'm able to find for myself to listen audiobooks when i'm either working with paperwork that i know don't need a lot of attention you just got to find really find what works for you and stick to it mm-hmm. there's no their way and i feel like a lot of people they don't they feel like they have to find what's the correct way there is no correct way the mm-hmm. correct way is whatever way you will learn and if you will learn certain way and you get the results i feel like that's what's important i i definitely agree i think people shouldn't be discouraged in learning in the format that works best for them because, you know, we're all trying to learn as much as possible. And I think you made an interesting point, I think, earlier in uh, our recording that if you will, if you listen to an audiobook and you really like it, you'll buy the book and then read the book, right? I think that's something that, like I've done myself. I think that's something you, you, if you really feel like you're missing out by not reading it, why you can listen to the audiobook first. If you get halfway through it and you really like it, just buy the book and then you can read the book. So I think like just learn in the format that works best for you. Don't get discouraged from, you know, start like learning in a way that you think that's, it's most effective. Yeah. There's also a lot of nowadays videos that will, it might not be the book that you're reading, but you might be like a YouTube video that you get taught <clears throat> the same subject. And maybe this is how you learn whatever that is. So you just got to find format that works for you. And with the books, uh, there's a few technical books that I actually read with the audio that I got maybe half a point and the other one I can, I actually had to see the numbers. So then I bought the actual book and read, read the actual book, but because I already had information, I, it was easier for me to grasp it. And the only way you get to this point is by actually trying and seeing what works for you. Mm-hmm. You know, staying in your comfort zone is uh, it's one of the most dangerous things we can do. For sure. My, my opinion. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, a platform I've, I've used recently is an app called Headway. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's basically... So you have to pay for it, but they give you a free book a day. So that's what I use. And the free book a day is like they condense like a 300, 400 page book into like six, seven pages. It's like a clip notes version. And they give you like an audio book. But instead of it being like 10 hours or five hours long, it's 15 minutes. So they basically condense it into as short of like a summary as possible. So I I use that like and they have some like good quality books on there like uh how to win friends and influence people like like those are kind of books that they give out on a daily basis so i use that i kind of skim through those and like it gives me an idea of if i like the book and i kind of put it on a list of like the next book to buy to get into more depth 
Yeah, I think also another concept, sometimes you don't have to finish the book if you don't like it. I know I have a problem with this. I start something and then I feel like I have to, and that's silly. Like if you're not getting into something, you know, you can always put it back, uh, read it later, maybe it hit, it, hit you another way. But I'm definitely struggling with that one. Mm -hmm. So having like this kind of app, I think it would be useful for me. I got to look into it because that way I can kind of skim through something and know if I like it or not and then get into it more. Mm. Yeah, I could I could send it to you uh, later on. It's like, but my my issue is the exact opposite. Like, I have no problem stopping a book. So like on my nightstand, I have like a pile of like 10 books that I, I got to like maybe like three chapters in. I was like, I'm not feeling this book anymore. I want to get into this book. So like there are sometimes like a book really resonates with me and I like I can like breeze through it. But it, like whenever I have like a difficulty reading it, I'm like, OK, is there another book that I have that I would rather read right now? And then I go back to the original book if I ever get back to it. But. So let me ask you, does that do you feel like you learn, even though if you read little parts, do you feel like you learn a little bit or do you feel like you read it you don't really really remember you move to another book so all this time you're wasting it well like i so like when i read like a self-help book or like a book about information i take notes as i read like i underline and everything so something that i try to do when i finish a book is i go back and i look at my underlines and i kind of take notes like i type out everything to like basically give myself an outline of what i read <clears throat> so something that like is useful is like if i do that like for the first two chapters and then I don't touch it for like six months and then I get back to it. Like I still have the notes that I wrote originally to go back to, but like, like you said, like you kind of don't have an, any idea what, what the first two chapters were as you're reading it. So you're kind of just picking up from where you left off. It could be tough. So that's uh, I, but like you said, like it, it works for me. It probably might not work for everyone. Yeah, just got to find what works for us <clears throat> as individuals. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I guess like the last thing we could touch on is, so you're into value investing. You said you're a big value investor. What aspects of a stock do you find most appealing before you decide to invest in one? Uh, what do you mean by aspect? So like many people would say, oh, I, I love the, the dividend of the stock, I invest because of the dividend. Uh, many, some people might say, I like the future growth of the company. Some might say, oh, I think the stock is very undervalued given the, the current situation. So uh, when I was told by uh, Phil Town and him learning from Warren Buffett, there's a certain like bullet points almost where you look for in companies and doing uh, before you invest in them. So a few of them, uh, they have to be undervalued. So you find whatever metric works for you for knowing the intrinsic value and then you buy it 50% off. So everybody has different margin of safety, it's called. Uh, I was taught by 50%. And I feel like it's a lot and not always you will get the companies you want, but it gives you margin of safety. Meaning like if you, cause I don't think I'm the brightest, but uh, 
so that gives me a confidence that when I find something with 50% off, like, you know, the most I'll lose is another 50. So some people will, they'll buy into intrinsic value, you know, basically whatever they each trading and hoping it will go higher. I, I need it to be a discount. Um, very important is for it to have good management. So people that run the business for you, that basically not going to screw you over because they're trying to get paid uh, and not really care that this time is going higher, lower. As long as they get their money, they have to. Those are terrible. And it kind of, uh, another one is no, little to no debt. So when you have, and there's a few more, but when you have certain criteria that you're looking for, it creates a smaller circle of companies that you can invest in. And it narrows down the error rate because you're looking for such uh, what Warren calls wonderful companies. Um, and all these things, I don't know, it just clicked to me. Just one day I woke up and I was like, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but the way I got to that is again, by reading a lot of books and getting things from other famous investors that works for them uh, and getting what works for me from them. So sometimes be it one thing, sometimes it being none. There's a few that, you know, they're great investors, but the way they do things does not work for me. So I don't think I wasted my time by reading because first I learned about that individual. So now I don't have high hopes. I'm kind of going off the topic, <laughs> um, but uh, those are kind of starting points. I mean, a lot of important for me is uh, return on equity and return on investment capital have to be high teens or in twenties. So when you have all these things, this company is barely any companies left. So a lot of times it's for me just sitting and waiting for those companies to something happen like 2020. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to say I bought all the way on the bottom, but I was waiting for certain events to happen. And this is kind of the events that you wait for, but you have to have the discipline to wait and not kind of do things that will hurt you. So I got to say, as someone who's never been in the financial profession, like that was, that was great. Honestly, like that's what you're taught. You. That's what you're taught in college. So like you, you would have nailed, you would have nailed any finance exam that I took. That's for sure. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I think what, what you said would kind of be what I look for as well. I think I kind of, I do have the accounting background, so I kind of, what, like I weigh numbers a lot more have like heavily than maybe I look at management teams, which probably is a negative. I should probably look at management teams more, more so than I do. But like you said, like I look at debt, I compare, you know, assets to debt. Do they have enough to cover short-term liabilities, long-term liabilities? Uh, I think the return on assets, return on invested capital are good measures too. That's those are things that I should use more heavily going forward. I, I also take into account, I, I like looking at dividends. I, I look at dividend safety. That's uh, a big, I, I like receiving dividends. I like the cash flow. And I think if you're paying a dividend, it, like the dividend can tell you a lot 
of the company. It, it gives you a good backstory, like how they use their cash, how effective. I think a safe dividend kind of gives you an indicator of how the management team is in a sense, where if they have you know a low payout ratio, if they're paying their dividend consistently and they're finding ways to do so effectively, that can kind of give you some insight in how they can manage their funds. So those are things I look at, but I think honestly what you said, like if I were to tell someone to start investing, where to look, I think what you said pretty much was the, the blueprint. Thank you. And uh, I like dividends too. And one thing I'll say, you have to be careful that they don't get in the habit of just paying them out because they have to. So all this uh, aristocrats and they have fancy terms for uh, dividend companies that have been paying, paying them out for a long time. And some of them now they have to just pay them out so the stock price doesn't go down. Um, and people sometimes put too much faith into a company because it's keep paying dividends, but if they don't look in their assets and liabilities, and this is where you know accounting helps uh, a lot to actually go in nitty gritty numbers. But for me personally, if I see a company doing something consistently same, 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 and then liability and debt changes, uh, you know, I don't have to have a, a degree to understand that company is somehow putting in more debt. And then you, I mean, then common sense for me helps me out because I try to figure out maybe something changed. And usually there's some other changes that come in that gives you a warning sign that uh, maybe you should not be buying this just for the dividend. And uh, um, like, for example, for me, growth companies, like, uh, oh, another thing that I was thought the big one is investing in companies that have at least 10 years of data so the 10 case, at least go for 10 years. And that gives you kind of helps you with seeing how stable the company. So with all the hot names right now that have no uh, actual value, they don't make any money. Mm -hmm. uh, they just sound cool and people jumping on the wagon. It, it keeps me just away from that because I don't have enough data to compare year to year how they're doing. Again, um, I don't might not fully understand the accounting principles behind it, but if you see every year it's steady and then one year just some crazy things happen that does not look like any other year, the outlier, it just kind of might keep you away from uh, future harm. And then you just do more um, digging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's honestly a good rule of thumb. If you want to take, like, you're kind of making sure like you, you're taking a more conservative approach, right? If you have uh, a 10-year track record and, you know, they've been consistently performing well over 10 years. I mean, they're saying that, you know, past, uh, past performance doesn't necessarily indicate future success, but it's strongly suggested in my opinion, right? Like if you have a company performing like outstandingly for 10 years, odds are in the next five, they're probably going to perform as well. If the management team stays intact and barring any other like crazy incident happening, happening. So I think that's an interesting approach as well. Like it does provide you a lot of safety in that regard. I mean, you know, the object emotions stay in motion kind of thing where, as you said, if they keep going well, 
without anything changes, they should, they most likely will like Apple, for example, uh, is a great example of, they've been going at it for a really long time. Will they be going out as much down the road? I don't know, uh, but if the company is good, everything's good, nothing changes and you either invested or something happens and you can get a low price, why not like but then you know you have this oil companies uh either exxon or bp that keeps putting in more debt to pay out dividends yeah that's not good yeah i know uh, a strategy that i like to use is if you were to invest in a company today and i were to tell you that you can't touch that company for five years like you have to keep it in your portfolio what company would you pick right so like i think that goes into looking into the factors that you mentioned earlier, right? How's the management team? How's the past 10 years performances? Do they have a lot of debt? What's their return on equity looking like? Like being, these kind of things can give you a good idea of where the company will be in the next year to five. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a wonderful um, rule because it will slows you down and stops you for a moment to think and that second of thought maybe can save you from buying into something that is not a good bet because you just on emotions or just somebody gives you a tip without you doing enough due diligence before investing mm -hmm. uh, one of the big rules that started all for me was it's called um, basically not losing money so it's not about making a lot of money it's making sure that you don't lose any of your own and then anything on top is a big cherry yeah i think that's a warren buffett saying right just don't lose money yeah I, I tried to be a smart just now and tried to remember it but i can't so i just rephrase it <laughs> yeah but honestly like i think that's it right like the main goal people should have on the stock market is you want to beat inflation and whatever, whatever else is, like you said, a cherry on top. Just, you just, you just don't want to lose money. I mean, look, if tomorrow bonds going to give us 10, 15% for whatever reason, or eight, uh, and the inflation doesn't pick up that much, like why not invest in bonds that give high? I feel like people sometimes they just get caught up and, the Wall Street mania of, you know, buying and selling and being involved in things and being able to step to the side, see things from other perspective is uh, I something I always keep telling myself because I think at some point there was a point where bonds were paying a lot of money and uh, Howard Marks made a lot of money by staying in bonds rather than in equities mm -hmm. because they were paying like 10, 15 percent and i always keep myself on that point if i see any times bonds pay that much why not like be open-minded try keep evolving um yeah i mean i feel like it's all common sense yeah i think that so was too. pun intended <laughs> i think so too i think it's just that you have to get the information out there right i think once people learn it in the first place everything becomes common sense. Like you look for the best return possible and the, the safest and smartest way you can. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
So I think we had a great conversation. I think this would be a great way to end the episode. I think we touched on a number of topics here. Uh, before we do wrap up, is there anything you want to, you know, shout out or plug? Like, do you want to plug your, your newsletter or your... Sure, I'm more than happy to. Well, uh, I do want to say thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it was awesome. It went really nicely and I like the way it turned out the conversation. Uh, we, I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and my newsletter, all on under from 100K to 1M. I spend a lot more time on Twitter. If anybody actually like direct messages are always open. I like to talk to new people and I put out on a weekly basis a newsletter Monday or Tuesday. So now I actually, after talking to you, I'm going to go see what's my family up to and then start working on my newsletter. And uh, that comes out on Monday or Tuesday on weekly where I discuss my actual full uh, portfolio, uh, full transparency. So you can see all my trades, all my um, option trades and uh, I go over it on a weekly basis. Yeah, guys, if you do want to check out his social media accounts and his newsletter, I will be linking everything into the, the notes or the description wherever you're watching or listening to this so but yeah thank you for coming on today it was i really appreciate it i think we had a great conversation and yeah i wish you and your platform the best honestly thank you so much anthony and yeah i do love your podcast i do as i follow you on instagram i listen to your podcast it's uh something different from what other individuals that i listen to put out and it's broad but it always stays on the same topic of finance so i really enjoyed thank you thank you and if you ever want to come on again i'd be more than happy to i think we had a great conversation awesome i'm looking forward thank you bye-bye